today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Saul's dynasty has come to an end with the death of Ishbosheth, and David is now elevated king of all Israel in fulfillment of God's promise. David captures Jerusalem, much to the surprise of the Jebusites, who underestimated David's abilities. But in this chapter, we're also told of his military victories over the Philistines, all the while showing courage, humility, and faith in Yahweh. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Thursday, June 19th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by a generous contribution from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF produces a variety of Lutheran resources in foreign languages. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work and how they can help your ministry on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, folks, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning, uh, a brother just up the road from me. He's going to help us explore 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's the Reverend Christopher Amen, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota. Brother, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to hear you again. Of course, we're in the same circuit. And for those that folks, sorry, those folks at home that don't know, that just means that we all meet once a month uh, in fellowship with one another at our Winkles or our circuit meetings, whatever you want to call them. Christopher Amon's an excellent pastor with a lot of experience and knowledge. Uh, he was on along with another uh, local pastor when we did our Good Friday, First Friday episode. But today I'm happy to have him on. He was on before then too. But I'm happy to have him back for Second Samuel 5 as we see David uh, elevated now, not just king of Judah, but king of all Israel. And we're going to look at that in detail. Uh, pastor Amon, uh, how have things been going um, at your congregation since we last talked? Well, things have been quite well for us. We have, like many, uh, gone into a little different summer schedule, which brings about different opportunities for ministry and in our community. And we're excited uh, to continue sharing God's word uh, in our area. And one of the things um, that we didn't get to talk about last time is that you're also an EMT, isn't that right? You serve your community in other ways than just being a pastor. I am an EMT, yeah. I've uh, previously been a police chaplain, and then due to uh, the need of our community, I've completed my certification uh, almost two years ago now for serving as an EMT on our ambulance. And another great way to just serve and be about in our community uh, and share. Well, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's just great. Well, I'll tell you what, before we get into our text, though, I think it's a good idea for us to start off, start off in prayer. If you would lead us in that prayer, I'd appreciate that. Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as you come to us this day in your holy word, open our ears and our hearts that we can hear what you have for us, that we hear how you work throughout time and history for our life and salvation and bring that word to us today that we too can with patient endurance continue to look forward and see your work in our lives through your son jesus in your son's name we pray amen amen 
Okay, well, I guess I talked about it just a little bit, but do you want to tell us a little bit of what happened in the last chapter? Right? Catch us up. I, I know that there has been some division since Paul, uh, Saul, <laughs> Saul died, pardon me. His son, Ishbosheth, was basically the king of, well, I guess, everywhere but Judah. <laughs> but um, and, and right. David was of Judah. What's, what's happened in the time being? So, yeah, leading into here, uh, Ishbosheth. Uh, has has been murdered um and there's part of this too and this will really become important in this chapter is there was some division of wondering who's the rightful king uh who who truly is king uh and with with that murder it kind of will bring the israelite people together uh in terms of who it is that god has appointed uh as king also, too, you know, as the soldiers had murdered him, they were hoping to receive a reward. But David does not commend them for, you know, killing him. Um, he actually sentenced them to death as well. So even then honoring his enemy, uh, the one who's opposed against him, uh, which what great faith and what great mercy David shows in loving his enemy. Yeah, I mean, David, he executed them. They came thinking, oh, yeah, well, look at us. We, we've done a good thing. But David, if nothing else has shown us throughout his time as the anointed but not yet king, that he does things according to God's timing, according to God's will, and that certainly wasn't of it. That catches us up to chapter 5, where we are. I'm going to read the first, oh, I don't know, I guess the first five verses. Here we go. Then all the trials, tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And Yahweh said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and said, King David made a covenant with them, and Pardon me. They came to Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before Yahweh. And they anointed David king of Israel, and David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Okay, sorry, sorry for the fumbles there, uh, but I tell you it's what, right. so we have this text, and we have uh, David, all the tribes of Israel are coming to David at Hebron or Hebron, um, and they are looking now to him. They've, they're remembering the covenant of Yahweh. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting too. Finally, as I mentioned, there was some division here of who was the rightful, rightful king, and who it is and prior to this only one tribe truly saw david as their king uh, and so for them now to all come together uh with with david as the king that is that so many all the other tribes had followed a non-anointed king a self-proclaimed king a king of their own following and now that he's been murdered uh, and now that he's been, you know, beheaded so and stuff, now they finally say, okay, we'll follow the Lord's anointed king. 
now that we've run out of options, right. we'll follow God's way. And, and isn't that how it is, right? Now, now that it's no longer convenient for us, now that our guy isn't around anymore. But it makes you think, too, like, you know, David uh, punished those who uh, took the life of uh, Ishbosheth, but at the same time, God's probably also operating through this whole sphere because God has anointed David as king. This other guy, you know, he's trying to make a dynasty for his father, but that that wasn't God's will from the beginning. So it was destined to fail regardless. Absolutely. Can't, you know, we always pray thy will be done. And, you know, one thing we learn and see in scripture and uh, in history, things don't go well for us when we spurn the Lord's will and try to go our own path in our own way. And this, no, uh, no different. Well, and not only, not only are they remembering uh, God's covenant that you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, but it says, in, you know, it was you, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. I, I assume, brother, they're talking about all the different ways that David was uh, being uh, like a general. He was leading them in and out of battle. He was the one who clearly God was with. Yeah, David's done so much uh, here. I mean, we famously remember the battle with Goliath, right? When he was just a mere shepherd boy and no one gave him any credit, any credence. But this has been, and we'll get into the years later, I mean, but this has been uh, 15 years later or so uh, that all of those things. And so David's been preparing for this moment for quite some time. And so, yeah, they've, They've seen him developing as a leader, developing uh, to serve as king. The other part, too, then they say that we are your bone and flesh. Uh, it's interesting. You know, David is a part of them, a part of their nation. But part of this, too, remember when uh, previously they had tried to drive David out. They did not want him as king. And so David even had to live among the Philistines for a period of time. And so living amongst the Philistines, he he was kind of an outcast. Uh, and so now this is kind of a, well, I guess we're going to receive you back. Um, we're going to embrace you as one of our own, uh, even though you always have been, but because you've right. come in and out uh, kind of thing. Well, and they're also remembering, I suppose, the fact that they are all brothers of one another. I mean, these are the tribes of Israel, right? Remember who Israel is. Remember who their father is. God has called them all to be one people. So this division is not what God is pleased by. And, of course, we get a little foreshadowing of the division that's going to come. But still, you know, they, they, they do that. They say that we are, bo are, are your bone and flesh which, of course, takes me all the way back to Eden, but really just means that we are your brethren, and right. you shall be the shepherd. But then I also find it interesting, and we brought this up when we were studying First Samuel, how they say you shall be prince over Israel. Now, the Bible talks pretty, pretty loosely when it uses a lot of these terms, let's be honest, but yep. we also see a distinction between who's the true king of Israel, which is God himself, and, and King David, King Saul, uh, and those who will follow, they're really mere princes of Egypt, uh, of Palestine, Egypt, but of Israel. Of Israel, yeah. And part of this, too, is then the fulfillment of the overarching narrative 
of all of scripture, right? That leads us to our true king. But that David's part of that line, part of that promise. Um, and so this is not just an earthly king, not just an earthly tie of leading people, but this most certainly then has, and, and uh, yeah, you're right, scripture does sometimes, we can play fast and loose with language at times, but the, that prince over Israel is to bring him to that ultimate reminder of the other prophecies, uh, namely the prophecy of which all th- through which all run through, that is of the Savior, of the Messiah. And so setting that up, that this is the story, the narrative that is continuing through the Lord's will here. Amen, brother. A couple other things stand out to me. First of which is that, well, they say that they made a covenant with David before the Lord, and then they anointed David king over Israel. Now, this is the third time that David has been anointed king. Way back in 1 Samuel 16, of course, is when Samuel anoints him for that first time and the Spirit of Yahweh comes upon him. Uh, back in 2 Samuel, he was anointed king over Judah. He's anointed again uh, king over Israel. And I don't want to read too much into it. Maybe you can speak to it. But David is 30 years old when he began to reign. That Was he exactly 30? Or is this a symbolic number? Because the reason I ask is because we see that Jesus also began his ministry at 30. Is there, is there something to that, or am I looking too deeply? No, actually, I was going to bring that in as well uh, with that that overarching thing. And part of that, too, you know, 30 years old for the Jewish people um, in their culture, that was a big number for their leaders, for the high priestly leaders, for the prophetic leaders. You know, it wasn't until you were 30 that you could read books like the wisdom literature and the Song of Solomon, because uh, you had to have that life experience uh, and those things before you could even read them, uh, much less to to preach through them. And so for them, uh, in that Jewish culture and in this time, you know, 30 years old really was that coming of age time for leadership. Uh, and this is when, when the those you know new high priests became eligible at age thirty, and then certainly we like you said we do see Jesus entering on scene at age thirty. Uh, I don't see any reason for us to deviate from age thirty here. Um, you know, it doesn't say about thirty years later or whatever. Um, right. It does. You know, it's very distinct and clear. He's thirty years old, so. Um, in this instance, I would say our best reading of the text is he was 30 years old. Uh, so, I mean, still young, but certainly had reached that age uh, in which leadership had developed. Well, that makes me feel good because I became a pastor at 30 years old. And I was a second career guy. So. <laughs> yeah. <There laughs> Not you go. Uh, comparing myself to David, of course, <laughs> nor Jesus. So, but if I, let's um, if, go ahead. If I may, I'd like to also come back in terms of the anointing. Uh, we do, oh yes, please. Um, this go, we do have some ties back in, you know, in Chronicles as well. First Chronicles chapter twelve actually gives us a little more description uh, of this great assembly and how great this was. It says that as they came, there's over three hundred forty thousand 
soldiers. Uh, so quite an army that is that shows up here as well um, for this. And so this really is the whole nation and and great joy. And and in First Chronicles twelve, it even then brings out that there was joy in Israel on this day. That as they started to recognize and see the Lord's work and salvation, that there was joy for them on this day. Well, and then so he's in this central location, which is in Hebron or Hebron, and and so now he heads to Jerusalem in the next verses, starting with verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for Yahweh, the God of hosts, was with him. That's the end of verse 10. A couple of things here, you know, we've already mentioned how he's, he's moving his capital to Jerusalem. He's going to call it the city of David, and all that's very interesting and certainly is important for fulfillment of Scripture later. But also what stands out to me is this whole, you know, the Jebusites basically saying, the weakest among you will ward you off. Um, they really underestimated David. Yeah, and this has been the story of David's life, right? Uh, just being underestimated. And by most accounts, he's a pretty unimpressive figure. You know, we generally think of our leaders and look for those. You know, they liked Saul. He stood a head taller than everyone. You know, tall, broad shoulder, masculine. Uh, yeah, that's our clear leader. And then there's David, um, scrawny. You know, all of his life, uh, probably in terms of, you know, in terms of being a shepherd and those kinds of things. He's out walking and working. And so, you know, probably while he's fit, uh, probably not so assuming and so dominant of a figure looking. But yeah, that is the story of his life of being uh, unassumed, which really then is the story of the Gospels, right? And the story of Scripture, of God working through the unassuming, the least impressive looking at times, figures. Well, and, you know, in addition to his unassuming nature, apparently his reputation has not preceded him to the Jebusites because they're confident. Right. They're, either, they're either confident in David's weakness or they're just confident in their ability to drive him out or the, the, the thought that their city is impenetrable. So they declare, oh, even the blind and the lame will keep you away, which is, which I guess gives some context to verse 8, which says, David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft, whatever that kind of means, to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Now, David doesn't hate the lame or the blind. No. Uh, but I think if you read this really quickly, you might think, well, is this king of David telling him to go kill all the weak people? I think that's a pretty shallow reading, but it might be worth explaining. 
No, I think part of it, he's just mocking them with their own words, so to speak. Uh, you know, taking that that which they use, um, and kind of just throwing it back at them uh, as they go. Well, exactly. About. You know, you guys are going to hold me off with your weak and your blind. Well, hey guys, let's go attack the weak and the blind. But he's really using it as. But really derogatory toward all the Jebusites. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, what's a, what's it, with this? Um, what's with this water <laughs> shaft? Um, is there anything to that? I mean, I, I, maybe it's sort of been lost to history, but I guess they're coming in through some sort of maybe tunnel or water tunnel. Yeah, that's the best probably way. Um, it's actually called Warren's Tunnel uh, today uh, in that area. Uh, it's there's a narrow opening um, that you can, you know, that they found, and it's it's a narrow opening that's cut through the rock um, so that they can get water from from the springs. Um, so, and it, you know, especially when the city was under attack, boy, what a, and what a great stronghold Jerusalem is then. You know, it, that without you know, we're so used to water pumping and being around everywhere. But to have natural well water to have that source, most of the time they're walking, you know, from the rivers, from the Jordan and from other places uh, to bring their water. But they actually had this this water shaft built in that was kind of used for the purpose of still having water uh, when they were under attack. So they could hunker down and, and stay put. So they it also then provided them that stronghold of you're not going to make us weak by by depleting our water source uh, and having us come mm -hmm. out. And so as David is is on there, he's letting them know, you know, we're even coming, we're coming to the life source. We're coming through the place that you don't think we know of. Um, right, right. Well, it, and then it says David became greater and greater because, and, and I love this phrase, I think we're so used to it, we forget really what it means, for Yahweh, the God of hosts, was with him. So we've heard so much in First Samuel, and we will continue to hear in Second Samuel about these great battles. The, the phrase God of hosts, that's, that's not necessarily like angels and stuff, that host is armies, right, brother? Right, that's his, yeah, and that's why I wanted to bring in um previously just you know 340,000 armies showed up at his coronation right. um that's that's a significant army and yeah we're used to you know we speak of angels and archangels and all the hosts of heaven and uh, it's not just all the people of heaven and part of this too is this reality that there's always a battle going on you know scripture speaks of that with the angels and with the demons and the devil and prowling around. And there's a spiritual battle going on. And, you know, there is a battle that we are engaged in here as well uh, for God's word, but the God of hosts. So, you know, the general, the one who's in charge of all of these things is with him. And it's a stronghold. You know, you want to talk about the greatest of armies. Uh, it's the Lord. And, and as we speak of the God of hosts, it's not just a large army, but it's the angelic army. And that's an army that cannot go against. 
Yeah, and that's what I love when we talk when we when we see the the angelic armies being being referred to as hosts. Yeah, it's talking about God's strength and power and 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 here you you gave us that number this just this awesome gathering of all these military soldiers. I mean, if David wasn't the the rightful king or they didn't think he was, he'd be in trouble. But no, they they're some they're submitting to David's authority which really is them submitting to God's authority. Exactly. And there are other there are other kings too who respect David. We see in the next couple of verses here and Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that Yahweh had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So tell us a little bit about Tyre and, and, and of course, cedar trees and carpenters and masons. This won't be the last time we hear about them, but what's, uh, what are they building, David? A, a place of worship, a, place, a house to live in, a palace? What, what are they building? Yeah. So, I mean, part of this, too, is showing David's not just a great military leader. He's not just a man of war. And, you know, up in, you know, that... Up until this time, to, until you have others also recognizing uh, leadership and authority, um, it's not always viewed as legitimate. Um, and so now we have King Hiram's delegation. You know, they're showing David's reputation coming apart, you know, and in just giving him that support. Uh, cedar trees were quite strong. Cedar trees, you know, and the scriptures use cedar trees to speak of uh, things that don't break, things that are built to last. You know, this, 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 it's mentioned in the Psalms of, of the righteous flourishing and growing like a cedar in Psalm 92. Um, and another time uh, in Ezekiel, uh, in terms of, he says, Behold, I will liken you to a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and a forest shade. I mean, these are large trees, but these are also large trees that have a very strong wood. Um, and, you know, a wood that's built to last. Uh, and so this isn't a temporary kingdom. This isn't something that's just going to be a flash in the pan kind of kingdom. This is something that's going to be lasting. Uh, and then, and also then is that David is building these alliances as well. That it's not just um, trying to unite Israel, but that he's bringing, he's going to then bring this mess, the message of salvation, his heritage, the Lord's word of Israel to other nations. Uh, and that the kingdom will be for Israel but that this is also going to then extend out. I think that's an interesting point, especially when you talk about how, well, you're not really official until other people recognize you. So I could go out and uh, say, well, I'm, the, the, I'm, I'm living here in Laverne, Minnesota, so I could say I'm the king of Laverne, and, and it's like, okay. And then I could even get a few hundred people maybe to say, okay, yes, he's the king of Laverne, but you're really nothing until other nations start to recognize you. Right. And we do that in our national uh, policies today. We have self-proclaimed rulers and self-proclaimed governments around the world that 
are variously recognized. And, and if they are, they are recognized as true governments if they're not. So I actually never thought about that in this case. I did think of it in terms of David's ability to uh, be di- diplomatic and appeal to other nations, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I hadn't thought of. And also the, the uh, I guess there's, there's both a practical thing and a symbolic thing when it comes to this massive house. One, you know, the strength of the, of the house, the permanence of the house really flows into when it, when it says David knew that Yahweh had established him king over Israel. Like his name isn't written in chalk. It's it's written in stone. He's now the king of Israel, and of course, it will be his descendant who will be the king of kings, the eternal king of Israel. Uh, but folks, we're going to have to think about that as we take a few moments as a break. So folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Amon and I will keep on going through 2 Samuel chapter 5. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Booth. With me this morning is the Reverend Christopher Amen, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us this morning. I pray that God blesses you through our study. Thy Strong Word can be heard in St. Louis on AM850, but also live or on demand at kfuo.org. And if you want to take the show on the road, you can listen to us as a podcast on KFUO's own mobile app or on your favorite podcasting platform. If you want to ask a question or make a comment, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Just drop by and say hello. Now, Pastor Raymond, before the break, we had just gotten to the point where the king of Tyre is sending not only materials, but also expert builders, carpenters, and masons who are going to build David a house. Um, so this was symbolic both of the fact that he is an established king, not going away, not temporary. But now, you know, it's also a little bit symbolic of the fact that the Israelites have sort of officially landed. I mean, they've been fighting over their territory and they will continue to for some time. But this really was a permanent home or permanent, I guess, uh, district for their government. This They now had a headquarters. This is what they've been waiting for since slavery, right? Uh, since the Exodus. And they've had their promised land, and then they've been waiting for their king, and they've been waiting for their permanent kingdom. And so this is the continuing narrative of that still. Absolutely. So let's read the next part, and David's going to establish himself a little bit in these next verses, but, you know, it takes a little unpacking to understand them in the, in the greater context. Just a couple verses, 13, 14, and 15. Here we go. 
and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron or Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem, Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliara, and Eliphelet. <laughs> Hopefully I did those names justice. Well done. Probably not. Well done. Um, but looking at those names, it, we see as David is having this, you know, blessed uh, progeny, all of these children. But, you know, people today in our modern understanding are a little concerned with the fact that David has all these wives and concubines. But there are there are some political reasons for this, too, that aren't aren't just David wanting to have a bunch of wives. Right. You know, I mean, certainly there is some concern, right? We we don't want to change scripture. Uh, God has you know established with marriage that that one flesh union, one man, one woman. But this is also part of their cultural practice of what, what we saw, um, that distinction uh, with, wi- with wives and concubines. And, and this was oftentimes done um, really to, to bring together uh, political relationships. I'm not saying it's the best way to be done um, and not saying the Lord necessarily uh, wants to go about it. Uh, or, you know, he doesn't actively promote and say, hey, you should just go out and do this. Um, you know, there is prohibition back in Deuteronomy uh, that the kings especially were not to acquire many wives. Uh, and so there is a little bit of maybe there is a little bit of David's weakness coming through, which will come out later in this book as well. Um, there is, but there is also then, there's a cultural distinction um, in terms of, you know, these weren't just ones for his pleasure. These were part of his family, part of his household, ones he legitimately took care of um, and, and were part of that household relationship. I mean, exactly. David enters into these marriages. He maybe not necessarily in this particular context, but at some points it would be very well to establish treaties and alliances. Um, you know, but the, the right. other thing here is too. I think we have to understand that this, this is where we get into that conversation of whether Scripture is uh, prescriptive or descriptive. And in so many chances, so many areas of Scripture, it's simply descriptive. It's just telling you what's happening. And and so David right. is not. Perfect. David is not Jesus. And we, although he has these beautiful traits of leadership and of faith and humility, and he certainly points to Christ as a type of Christ or even the type of Christ, he isn't Christ. He, he's the yeah. Messiah in the sense that he is certainly the anointed one of Israel. But, you know, we know we, because we know the rest of the story, we know David's going to fail in lots of ways. He's going to fail in the next chapter. So David's, is not perfect. And so we don't, it's always good for us when we look back at these heroes of faith to, as I like to say, shake the gold off of the icons and realize that they're real people with real faults. At the same time, this would have been a pretty effective way of, of strengthening relationships with, with other nations. I, one of my other guests brought up the fact that 
Solomon probably didn't even had never even seen most of his wives. Right. I mean, he had what he would if he saw Hundreds one a day, he he would have you know yeah, it would have taken him a couple of years, I think. Um, exactly. So, so I mean, there, there's it, some of it's just like on paper kind of stuff. And again, not that we're approving of that, but people will use these discrepancies to attack our faith. Right. And this isn't to say, yeah, exactly. This isn't to say that God, God changed the rules of marriage or certainly not. But understanding that those relationships, some of those political business deals were just done differently and how those relationships were defined. We're, we're perhaps a little cultural different. The other thing I think we'll see here as we come out, though, is um, it is good to see how they respond um, in the midst of their sin. You know, that David, uh, David repeatedly, when caught in sin, will repent and, and ask the Lord for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. And we also see then as David continues to live by faith, how the Lord still blesses him. So it's, it's also good against this notion that we have to be these perfect Christians so that God will bless us. No, no. I mean, David has his faults, has his sin. Like I like how you said, shakes the gold off a little bit. And yet, despite that, God will still bless him and watch over and provide for him. That God's blessing and grace and mercy isn't tied to our perfection. It's tied to faith and trust in him. And thank the Lord for that, for sure. Well, the narrative changes a little bit as we move forward. It goes into some of his defeats against the Philistines. But before we do that, anything else about this first part of the chapter that you want to make sure people know? I think it's just good that we see that also too that that repeated phrase of the Lord was providing the Lord was that is for the sake of Israel for the sake of the promise. And so all of this has its central focus, uh, including the next part too, of God is directing God is leading and fulfilling his word from before Well, let's head into it and see, starting with verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And Yahweh said to David, Go up. For I certainly will give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, Yahweh has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. That's the end of verse 21. We're going to pause for a moment. So the Philistines here, of course, the Philistines know David, don't they? He's had a complicated relationship with them for a while, always on the side of Yahweh, but they didn't always know that. So to him, to them, he's probably this this wavering traitor that keeps coming back and forth. Yeah, he's been back and forth, right? I mean, he he's defeated Goliath. He, you know, kind of tore down their stronghold, man. But then 
you know, he also fled to them in his time of need. And so they kind of, you know, at, he's gone from enemy to ally. And, but, you know, and he was at war with King Saul, who they hated. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, and now, but now he's king of Israel. So perhaps he's now our enemy again. Um, so there's definitely right. this complicated relationship for them. And I think that might also give them the impression that he's weak. I mean, the whole time we see his strength because we have this reliable narrator in the scriptures telling us what's what he's actually doing. But from their point of view, it's like, well, here's wasn't that David the one who was cowering behind our king and now he's the king of Israel. Right. But then they go out. And and David, unlike Saul, right? So we see Saul going out against the Philistines, but David inquires of Yahweh. He seeks God's will, and the, uh, Yahweh speaks to him. Now the question is, how is Yahweh communicating to David? I would I would think it's probably through the priest, through the Urim and Thummim, or however you want to pronounce it. He he's speaking to them through the established means, but maybe you have a different right. opinion. What do you think? No, that's exactly it. Likely through the priests and still today, right? What was the priest's job? To share God's word, to, to, to only to deliver that which was from the word of the Lord. Uh, and so for them, for David, like how you said, do the established order, because the difference between David and Saul, they do the same thing. You know, Saul had been attacking them, but Saul did so, I think the Lord is going to do this and bless this, and I'm the Lord's king, therefore I can do it. He just does it on his own. David, yeah, he appoints with a, he comes with a little humility of, I'm going to go through the means through which the Lord has said he would speak through his word. So to go through the priest uh, is most likely, yeah, and that probably involved worship and sacrifice. Uh, and and all of those things. And so in doing so, too, he's establishing this is not my battle. This is not my will. This is as the Lord directs. Now looking at verse 20, David came to Baal Perazim, um, and David defeated them there. And then it later says, Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. It's it's a sort of a reminder, brother, isn't it, that that this is being written for people well after the event, and it's basically like saying, you you know why we call that place Baal Perazim? Well, it's because of this event, and every time this comes up, I just like to illustrate it because it reminds us that these things are happening in real places. These aren't legends. This is history, right? And this is so important not just for this account, but really throughout all of Scripture. How many times do people like to attack Scripture or question a dating of Scripture because of a name being called? Well, it wasn't called that place until then. Well, but it was written in a real time and place. And so, yeah, we can call it that because this is what you know it as. Uh, and this is this is what it's called. And Yes, we're going to go through the history of what it's called. I think back famously to stuff like Exodus, when people want to look at the dating of Exodus. Well, it wasn't called the city of Ramses until this right. time. Well, no, but when it was written and who it was for, they're letting you know because it's a commonly known place now of what it is. If we said what it was called then, 
you'd be like, what is that? Where is that? And so we just have to recognize, you know, the scriptures while written by the Holy Spirit, also through human hands as well. And they are, you know, not to cast any doubt on inerrancy, but uh, they are also then written so that we can receive and just have actual knowledge of time and place. Exactly. And and when it comes to that particular name, though, I think people can get confused because it says the place is called Baal Perazim. Um, right. Baal, I guess when we think of Baal, we think of, of course, the, the gods of the Canaanites, the Baals or the Baals. But in this case, it's actually, it, it's talking about God. It's talking about the idea that... Um, David said that they would, you know, burst like a like a flood, right? So, so this 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 really means the Lord, uh, what is it? The the Lord burst forth or something like that. Yeah, the Lord of uh, the, the Lord of breakthrough. There you go. So, so it's the word Baal just means Lord, and when applied, of course, to false gods, just like the word God refers to God, or it could refer to false gods. In this case, this isn't has this have anything to do with the Baals? Is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Yeah, this isn't you know, the God that Elijah had to speak against. So, But I love how the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. So so they brought their gods into worship, and they were so useless, they just left them behind. Yeah, and I like, too, what this is. So it's just, it's breaking through uh, like a bursting flood. Right. I mean, this right. brings back to how God, that 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 power of water and what water does in terms of it can cleanse. We most often probably think of that. It quenches, but how it can destroy and sweep away, too. I mean, this would bring us back to Noah and the flood of yeah, all of the wicked, all of the unbelief. You know what? God's just going to start over and he's going to wash them through. And so as as the Lord bursts through and has this flood here, what's God doing? Well, he's going to also then through David and through this flood, carry them through and, and go through this time and carry out all of their idols. That's right. He washes them away. I just, you're right. That is, it's a, it's a beautiful, if yet scary imagery of God's power. You know, if you're on God's side, if you're on the right side of the flood, then you're doing good. If you're in the ark of God, the flood won't affect you. But if you and your idols are outside that ark, then you have something to worry about. And in these last days, of course, the church is the holy ark of God. Absolutely. And just how wonderful that is. And, and how, and notice too that it wasn't just that the waters did so, but that David uh, and and his men they carried them away. That is, they were active. Of we're not just going to leave them aside, but we're going to actually take part in carrying away. That that in a sense, they are part of the removal. Um, they're God's servants in this regard. That's right. Well, the Philistines aren't done with them yet. The Philistines aren't 100% defeated. This is just one battle. Uh, I'm going to read the rest of the verses of our chapter, just a few remaining, uh, 22 through 25. 
And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of Yahweh, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come against them opposite the balsam, balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then Yahweh has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did, as Yahweh commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So, what is this talking about, bro? This one seems a little different. Uh, you know, what, what, what is, what's going on here? Yeah. So, well, the part of it is the Philistines, they just simply don't accept that defeat. You know, it's, I almost get the feeling of, you know, wow, that was a fluke. Uh, that won't happen again. We can come up yet again. Um, we'll just come a different way through the valley of Rephidim. Uh, you know, and we're just going to come up there. You know, we just had some bad luck. And so they can do this. Um, and so as they're coming about, but then we also get to see again, David does not have an overconfidence or, or a pride. Uh, sinful pride coming out he once again inquires of the lord he asks of the lord and he said you shall not go up around but come against the all opposite so we're not going to do it the same way um god directs david differently now so just because one way worked before and was directed by the lord david says this is a new day this is a new time so He's going to inquire again. So David says, hey, Lord, you led me through the first time. And rather than just saying, I can do that again, how are you going to do so now? And yeah. he gets new direction. And if God would have said, nope, not this time, David would have obeyed. It's just such contrast to Saul. Exactly. Exactly. But in verse 24, God tells him, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, uh, it." I mean, is this sounds like a, some sort of he, we're talking about host earlier? Heavenly host. It's a heaven, a heavenly God. host, absolutely. So when you hear, you know, there's kind of this this little thought of when you hear the heavenly host, you know, this is. I mean, you don't hear marching on top of trees. That's just <laughs> right. That's just practically not where you where people march. And so, yeah, part of that is then too for us to see. That you know, this is this is the Lord's army. It, it, this is the heavenly host of of people uh, of going on. That this is from above, right? This is from God. And I love that because it then brings us back to the beginning of our text for today, when it says David became greater and greater because Yahweh, the God of hosts, was with him. And if you needed any more proof. David didn't need the proof. He had the promise from God. But for everybody else, look right here. He's able to defeat the Philistines in this gigantic area, maybe 20 miles. That's about roughly the size of this area from right. Gezer, maybe Gibeon to Gezer. But that may not seem like a lot in today's standards, but 20 miles worth of, of uh, in, in armies and encampments. And, and that's just amazing. Yeah, I mean— we we don't oftentimes think of it. I mean, you and I are right about 30 miles apart from each other as we speak right, right now. Um, and we make that drive pretty regularly. 
between our town. You know, it's not it's, yeah, it's nothing not- to to make that commute for for different things. But we're so we're so used to that. It's hard for us. But you know, when you're talking about on foot and with the amount of people that you're traveling together with, uh, at best with some animals uh, to help instead of just march. You know, this is this is quite a task. This is this is work. Um, and so, yeah, it's not a quick thing. Well, he gives thanks to God. We give thanks to God for all of that. As we come toward the end of our program, do you have anything else you want the people to know from our text today? Yeah, I think just that we see how David continues to go and ask the Lord, uh, both in, in success um, prior to this and seeming struggles and failures. Uh, he gets he has new enemies that come out, you know, as he's anointed king, and but he just shows the life of the Christian, the life of a believer, of you know what, in good, in struggle, in victory, in repeated attacks, we're just gonna go back and ask the Lord. We're gonna go back to His Word rather than rely on His own strength, His own ability. We're just going to keep this same process, always coming back to his precious word and gifts. Amen to that, brother. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Christopher Amen, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota. Pastor Amen, blessings to you on the rest of your Pentecost season. I look forward to having you back on the show. All right. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Tomorrow, guys, when we come back together, we're going to be into 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's going to tell us how David tried to bring the Ark of God into his new capital city of Jerusalem. But he did not follow God's instructions on how to transport the Ark. He put it on a cart instead of carrying it by poles. He also didn't assign the right people to handle the Ark. He let anyone touch it instead of only the Levites. And as a result, tragedy happened. A man named Uzzah died when he touched the ark to steady it. And, and David was angry and afraid of God. He left the ark at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. But then he heard that God was blessing Obed-Edom because of the ark. So he decided to try again to bring it into Jerusalem. Will he do things the right way the second time? Well, you'll have to tune in and find out or read your Bibles. That's okay, too. But either way, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. Amen.